Good morning. Why don't you turn to someone who's not next to you, who you usually might not say hello to and say, good morning, it's lovely to see you. Give them a warm welcome. Really lovely to see you. There you go, you just made a friend, a new friend. Um, I want to pass on apologies for my lovely wife today. She's unable to be here. She has certainly got a harder job out of the two of us as we have chicken pox at home. So you're amazing and I love you. Thank you. Um, so this morning, as I said, I'm going to be, uh, Heather said, I'm going to be sharing on Sabbath rest and um, uh, well, the Sabbath as a result. The Sabbath is taken from the Ten Commandments. Who thinks the Ten Commandments are good? Yeah? Great. You know, don't murder. Great. Don't be angry, as Nathan said. Don't steal. Uh, who's ever done any work on a Saturday? Mowed the lawn? Cooked a meal? Oh, it's awkward, isn't it? You just said you like the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Today, I'm going to be talking about a Sabbath rest, but not a law to restrict you, but an invitation God's given to refresh you. Does that sound good? Perfect. I'm glad you said that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through the Sabbath in Scripture, kind of leading us to its true meaning, and then the, the part I felt God really said to focus on was the things that challenge us from entering into his rest. And so that's where we're going to end up today. Um, I might have to be slightly quick, but I'm going to ask Leandro to put on my first slide for me. This tells you my plan. Uh, so <laughs> let's go for the next slide, Leandro. So our passage tells us that the Sabbath begins in Genesis 2. I'm going to read it for you. There's a little bit up there. But it says, Thus says, sorry, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So my question is, does God grow faint or weary? No? So then why does he need to rest? I want to put it to you that that not just God, but Adam and Eve were not tired from their work until after the fall. You know, Adam's God-given work he was given to look after the garden was only became tiring and hard as a result of his disobedience. And if you want to read that, read Genesis 3. So my first point is the Sabbath was never about physical or emotional recovery because no one was ever tired. Does that make sense? No one was ever in need of a rest. The clue is in the word holy, but I'll come back to that in a bit. So following Genesis 2, nowhere in scripture is there any hint that the Sabbath was being practiced up until Moses. So from Adam till Moses, that's a long time. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Egypt... There's no hint that the Sabbath is being kept all the way between Adam and Moses. And it appears in Exodus 16 when they're collecting the manna off the ground. Everyone know that story? And Moses says to them, collect double the amount on a Friday so that you can rest on Shabbat, the seventh day of the week. So with the, when we come to the Ten Commandments, which is Exodus, um, I didn't read that passage at the beginning, did I? So sorry, Landry. Do you want to go back to the Bible reading for today? <laughs> Let me go back to that. So it's Exodus uh, 20, verse 8 to 11. So this is Moses giving the Ten Commandments. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay. So I've caught us back up now. So with the Ten Commandments that we just read there, um, we see the Sabbath has become law. And following its interpretation and reinterpretation by Jewish scholars, it slowly becomes a day full of conditions, like you can't mow your lawn, or they didn't have lawnmowers or lawns, but you know what I'm saying. It was designed to force the people of Israel to rest from their work and force them to be holy. How do you think that one worked out? Not very good. It didn't work out very well. And the issue is, no matter how much they rest from, they never truly find rest because they're never truly holy. They always fall short, and somewhere deep down they know they're falling short, and so their only solution was to try and be better. So they had more rules and more rules and more righteousness and more righteousness, all for the sake of the Sabbath, but what happens is they get stuck in this cycle of restless rest. Can you say that with me? Restless rest. It feels like a tongue twister to me. but and So I want to ask a question. Which of you have ever experienced restless rest? Has anyone ever experienced that? Yeah? Like you have an afternoon off or a day off or a holiday, but all you can think about is the form you've got to do or the person you've got to reply to or the last load of laundry. There's always one more load of laundry, isn't there? Has anyone ever noticed that? There's always one more load. Um, you're never done. There's always one sock that's waiting. Um, but maybe it's more than that. Maybe actually when you stop to rest, you feel frustrated with what you don't have or unproductive with what you do have. Restless rest. You see, relational trust has always been at the heart of God's Sabbath invitation. Relational trust is at the heart of the Sabbath invitation. But Israel struggled to receive that invitation. Do we struggle? That's my question. Why don't you take a second, close your eyes for me, and just say, God, do I struggle to rest? Do I struggle to receive your rest? And just let him speak to you. You see, by the time we get to Jesus, the Sabbath has become a futile exercise of religious righteousness at the expense of what is true rest. But Jesus wasn't having any of it. Let me read from Matthew 12. So at the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, so he's walking with his disciples. The disciples were hungry and they began to pluck ears of corn to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, Jesus takes the Sabbath with all its rules and all its regulations. And he says to the Pharisees, you've completely missed the point. You've missed it. The Sabbath isn't about a day. It's about holy rest. And I am that. 
the Prince of Peace. He's the only way to find true rest, the only place to find true forgiveness, where all needs for works or strivings cease, and you can just breathe. It's only in Jesus. And actually, throughout the New Testament, instead of suggesting adherence to the Sabbath, it actually implies the opposite. Paul says this in uh, Colossians 2. Uh, could we put that first sli- second slide back up again for me? That's the one. He says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Through his death and resurrection, he he abolished the need for us to try and prove ourselves righteous, which is where the Israelites got stuck. By his blood, he made a way for us to be completely at peace with God by forgiving our sins so that we can find true rest in him for eternity. Doesn't that sound lovely? He got rid of all of that, all that need to try and to work and to be righteous, all that stuff, he got rid of it. So actually when we come to him, we can truly rest because we don't have to prove ourselves. And as we start to see the Sabbath through the lens of Jesus, not only does it make sense, but we can see actually how we can enjoy it. So ask your neighbor, do you want to enjoy Sabbath rest in God? Wait for it. Every single day. Oh yeah, this is what's on offer, people. Not just one day a week. The whole day's a weekend with Jesus. Whole week's a weekend. (laughs) Let's go for it. So my next slide, Leandro, would be great. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, So our true rest. So I'm going to head back to Genesis and show you where the Sabbath is throughout Scripture. So we already know that God wasn't resting from something, right? He wasn't tired. Adam wasn't tired. Eve wasn't tired. Eve might have been tired of Adam, but that doesn't count. But God was resting for something. He wasn't resting from work. He was resting for something. He made it to be holy. We did a series, it feels like years ago now, on holiness. Who remembers that series? It was actually one of my favorites. Um, Does anyone want to take a stab at telling me what holiness is? Holy. Oh, I've already put it up there. Don't worry. <laughs> Forgot I did that. Uh, so to be set apart for God and his purposes, top marks feel cheap. Um, so <laughs> God was resting from work in order to dwell with his new creation. He wasn't tired. He was resting not from work, but resting to dwell with his people, his newest creation. On day six, he created the lovely Adam and Eve. See, God leads by example as he rests from work and then he dwells with his people. Adam wasn't tired. The whole Shabbat was about dwelling with God in his presence. And I want to prove it because that period where there doesn't seem to be any practice of the Sabbath from Adam to Moses, this period was also bereft of any consistent and sustained presence of God amongst people. It just isn't there. He meets Abraham, he, he meets Jacob, but there's no consistent, sustained presence of God with his people up until Exodus, where we see the, Shabbat, the Sabbath reinstituted. In Exodus 13, we see this pillar of cloud and fire that goes with the Israelites ahead, behind, leaving them, leading them wherever they go, and we suddenly see they start to observe the Sabbath again. 
See, the Sabbath wasn't about rest from work or rest from hardship or rest from strife, but rest for God, rest for his presence, rest for his peace, which finally dwelt among his people. And this continues throughout the Old Testament. In Exodus 33, God says, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So first in the tabernacle, and then in the ark, and then in the temple, God chooses to dwell with his people, and in him they find true rest. But the thing is, it's just a shadow. Paul says it's just a shadow of what is to come. So into the New Testament, we all love Jesus' like, big statement, you know, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, and I bet he really liked saying that and like laying that down to the Pharisees. I bet he really enjoyed that. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, if we could remove those chapter breaks, which weren't there in the original manuscripts, and go back to the end of Matthew 11, we actually read this. So in the context immediately preceding Jesus' big statement, he says this. Come to me, all who labor. We'll have the next slide, Leandro, if that's okay. And I will give you rest. Come with me, all who labor, and I'll give you rest. Can you go back one? Maybe I jumped ahead. So sorry. Thanks for putting that with me, Leandro. Uh, That's perfect. I jumped ahead. It was my fault. Um, Come with me, all who labor, I will give you rest. You see, the rest on the Sabbath is now fulfilled in Christ. How? It's the very same as the first Shabbat in the Garden of Eden. God in Christ descended to dwell with his people, and in his presence they find true rest. So I'm saying the Sabbath is no longer law for us. For all you people who are mowing your lawns, you're off the hook. It's no longer law for us. Instead, dwelling and abiding in Christ is the only thing that offers us true rest. But my question is, how does that make any difference to the week you're about to walk into? Can I ask some questions? What do you do to switch off and relax or chill? Why don't you turn to your neighbor? What do you do to switch off, relax or chill? Tell them what you do. It could be TV, book, maybe a run. What do you do to switch off, relax on a daily basis? What do you do? All right, secondly, what do you do on like a weekly basis to unwind or refresh? So not just every day, but what's the thing you do on the weekend to really kind of like, oh, that type of thing. You know what I'm saying. Have a think. For me, I like to go for a walk with my family. Just that that fresh air is is brilliant. I absolutely love it. I sometimes have to drag my children out. I don't know what it's going to be like when they're teenagers, but it's hard enough now. But I just love to get out and go for a walk. But my big question is, how often do we invite God into those spaces with us? How often do we invite God into those spaces? How often do we choose to intentionally dwell with him in those precious times, which are very precious times for us in each day? You know, to acknowledge his presence with us, to acknowledge his input into what we're doing. You see, the whole world around us has a grid for rest, whether it's meditation or mindfulness or sleep or exercise. They're all good things, but if the rest is not coming from Jesus, then it's as fleeting as the rules of the Pharisees. If the rest you're getting is not coming from him, it's as fleeting as the rules of the Pharisees. It doesn't last. It's just a moment of righteousness before another week of works. So my encouragement, friends, is take Jesus on the run with you. Use it to talk to him. Use it to pray. You know, read a book that stirs your heart towards him. Meditate on his word. Have a relaxing bath in his presence if that's your thing. But invite him in. 
and find true rest with him. So I felt, just to finish up today, there was two things that are robbing from our rest. And I say that to people in this room. There are things that are robbing from your rest that God is wanting to pull out today. If we go for our next slide, I called it the thief of unbelief because it rhymed. That's, that's the only reason. I mean, it does make sense, but that's the only reason I call it that. Okay, who finds resting easy? All right, who finds resting hard? Because that's me. I, find, I, I just find it hard sometimes. The first of these things that steals or thieves our, uh, our rest is unbelief. It's a fear that God is not looking after you or your family or your affairs or your finances or that situation at work or your children. And therefore, because God's not looking after that stuff, you can't rest. Has anyone experienced that? Yeah? Good. It robs rest from us. It robs rest from me. Because of fear. Let me go to uh, Hebrews 3. We've got a bit of it up there. I'm going to read a bit more. So it starts by talking about the Israelites in the wilderness. In Hebrews 3, this is verse 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers, he's talking about the Israelites, put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they, will, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Ooh. And see, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95, which adds that God is speaking of a specific event where the Israelites are grumbling in the wilderness at Meribah. And this is in Exodus 17. I'll just read you this little bit as well. So the Israelites would go up to Moses and they basically say to him, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us out of slavery, that place where we were getting killed and suffered all that hardship? Why did you do that? Just to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. See, the Israelites were running out of water and instead of believing and trusting and resting in the presence that was with them, they were afraid and they had unbelief that God would look after them. It's a different context, but it's the very same thing we've just said we experience. The writer of Hebrews continues. He says, To whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were unable to enter his rest because of unbelief. They couldn't get rest because they couldn't believe that God had them sorted. That God was really looking after them. That God would take care of that thing that keeps popping into their mind when they just want to relax. But he does. Hebrews 3 calls us to be soft-hearted to God in relationship, not hard-hearted. You see, it's unbelief that hardens our hearts and causes us to miss out on rest. For the Israelites, it's the fear he wouldn't provide, the fear they'd never find their true home, the fear that God was actually no longer with them. But too many of us are experiencing restless rest because of our unbelief, because we're like the Israelites. We're released from the bondage of sin, but we're grumbling at where God has us because we're doubting his provision. Does that make sense? I'm really tired of worrying. Anyone else? Who's tired of worrying? Yeah? I don't worry all the time, but when I do, I'm really tired of it. I'm really tired of fear. I'm really, really tired of trying to fix things because it never works out. (laughs) 
I'm going to trust them. I need to trust them because otherwise I get no rest. I get no peace. Hebrews 4 calls us to be different to the Israelites. It says the gospel was preached to us as well as them, the Israelites, but the words which they heard didn't profit them because it's not been mixed with faith in those who heard it. I.e. they heard God's going to look after you, Israel, but they didn't receive it with faith. For we who have believed do enter that rest. We who have believed do enter that rest. It's an offer, friends. This isn't pie in the sky when you die. This is right now. True rest. Who does that sound good to? (laughs) And the thing is, enough of us have been through tough scrapes, right? Enough of us have been right to the bottom and, and where we didn't think we'd ever get out of it, and yet God brought us out of it. Enough of us have been through this for us to say to each other, hey, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. You can trust him. You can rest in him. I want you to take a second. If you believe this, in your head or out loud, I just want you to say, God, I trust you. Can you do that? Yeah, you could do it a bit louder. Go on, do it like Phil. God, I trust you. (laughs) God, I trust you for my family. God, I trust you for my finances. God, I trust you for my future. I trust you for my job. God, I trust you for everything. Doesn't that feel good? Right. Right, we're nearly there, friends. Don't worry. The second opposition. Next slide, Leandro. Dream team. Thank you so much, mate. Fulfillment through rest. The second opposition to our rest is that of works. It's the pharisaical trap. And it'll be helpful here, I'm going to be really quick, to distinguish between good works and works of self-righteousness. Okay, We've got good works and works of self-righteousness. You see, most Protestants have an aversion to the idea of works as something we have to do. Because its, it's root is in something that we have to do to make God like us, to make ourselves righteous or holy. And certainly there was only ever one work which made us righteous and holy, and it was Jesus crucified, and him alone. Isn't that helpful, yeah? But throughout scripture, there is an invitation to do the works for which God made us. Just as Adam worked God's mandate in the garden, so too we are called to good and fruitful works for his kingdom. In Ephesians 2, it says, we are his workmanship. Why don't you say that? I am God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Should we say that as well? I am created for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I want to do these works in my life. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. You know, I want to hear those immortal words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I believe God has placed in each and every one of us a really holy desire to achieve the works he's made us for. Not to achieve approval, not to achieve righteousness. I'm not talking about any of that. I mean to achieve the reason he's made you, the purpose he's made you, the things he's called you to. God puts that desire within us. And the big indicator we need to ask is, are we working uh, for approval or from approval? Are we working for God's approval in this situation? Am I you know, reading my Bible so God will love me? Or am I working from his approval? Am I reading it because he loves me? Am I sharing how good Jesus is with my neighbor because he loves me? Does that make sense? I remember a couple of months ago, so going back to my main point. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was feeling really f- frustrated on my days off, uh, and I was just felt restless, um, 
And I worked out that I was actually feeling unfruitful, and that's why I wasn't really able to rest, and I was just feeling a bit like, yeah. that was my feeling. And the thing is, there were a million things I needed to do. I looked around the house, you know when you're like, oh, don't look. Um, stuff like the recycling and fixing stuff, which I can't even fix anyway. Um, and then I did some of the recycling, and suddenly I felt really good, like I had like a dopamine hit from doing some recycling. Who's ever had that from the recycling, yeah? That's a winner right there. Quick win for your day. Uh, And I started to realize that all I was craving was achievement. I just wanted to achieve something. And then I felt like, oh, I've had a good day. I've achieved the recycling. (laughs) And I was just missing out on rest because I was like, oh, I'm not doing anything. And um, I was journaling about this, which means basically I was asking God, what's going on? And he said this to me. He said, Tim, when you're not resting in me, you're busying yourself in the things of the world. The many schemes of man in order to try and achieve, just to make myself feel better. But it's only by abiding in me that you bear the right kind of fruit which truly satisfies your desire to achieve. To be fruitful. These are my desires in you. Don't let the world tell you how to fulfill them. You see, I'm, I'm so wanting to achieve that I'm doing silly things that only make me feel like I've achieved for a minute and then I'm back to, oh, I want to do something because actually I'm neglecting to abide in him because it's only by abiding in him we produce the fruit that really causes us deep down to feel fulfilled. Like, yeah, I'm doing the thing he's made me to do. Who's ever experienced that feeling of, yeah, this is what I was made to do? Yeah? Oh, friends, it's precious. When you find it, don't lose it. Don't let the world tell you how to be fruitful, or you'll be forever chasing the next achievement. The only success that will ever truly satisfy that God-given desire is found by dwelling in his rest and producing his fruit. And again, today I feel there are people here, and I'm going to count myself in this bracket, who have placed this idea of achievement, whether holy or worldly, as, as a bit of an idol in our lives. And, and it, it, in turn, it's robbing from us, and it's robbing from us finding real rest in God. It's robbing from us actually producing the very thing that can fulfill that desire. The fruit of the good works that he's made us for. Because this fruit is only ever produced when we abide in him. Each and every one of us in here were made to advance the kingdom of God. Amen? Each of you with unique gifts and passions specifically designed to minister in his body. See, there is no crown of achievement in this world comparable to the poured out service of its king. There's no crown of achievement. There's no job, car, house, whatever. There's nothing in this world that is even comparable to what it feels like to do the thing that God made you to do. I suppose my heart and I believe God's heart for this morning friends is that we would know how to enter into his rest and that nothing would rob it from us and so I'd really like to pray into those two areas and and I just really want you to take a second and just ask God that same question as before God am I able to receive your rest I'm not saying can you get a good night's sleep or can you read a book I'm saying are you really receiving lasting rest fulfilling rest That's the question. Just take a second and ask that question. Am I receiving lasting, fulfilling rest?
And there's two things specifically that I feel God is wanting to bring healing to us in. The first is this, this unbelief, this fear. Is God really going to show up? Is God really going to provide? Is God really going to take care of that problem? And I just want to say, if that's you this morning, then it's not only you, and there's a few others in the room at least. But God is wanting you to, to deliver you from that unbelief, to deliver you from that fear, and give you true rest that comes in knowing that He is your provider, He is your comforter, He will lead you, He will guide you, He will get you to the other side of whatever mountain you are facing at the moment. And I just want to encourage you just to place a hand on your heart. And I, Father, I just pray for every single person here who's struggling at any level with unbelief. And that unbelief, that fear is robbing from them finding real rest in you. I want to pray those words from Hebrews 4. That it is us who can enter into that rest. And Father, I just pray right now you would lift off fear. God, you would come and comfort our hearts. You would drive your perfect love so deep within us that any ounce of fear is immediately repelled. It's not about not being afraid or trying to be courageous. It's about letting his love remind you that he's got you. He's got your future. He's got your past. He's got tomorrow. And if this you, just maybe just say, God, I'm letting go of fear. God, I'm letting go of fear for my children. God, I'm letting go of fear for my future or for my job. And instead, God, I trust you. And there's a second thing that I feel God is wanting us to pray for. This, this, this uh, place where we so desire to feel fulfilled that we're chasing after the achievements of the world around us. And I feel like the Father is just saying, come to me. Because in me you will truly find that fulfillment that you desire. You'll be able to really fulfill the works I've called you to. But it's only in me. And in this, I want to be brave and honest and say some of us have made peace with overworking. Some of us have made peace with, with pushing beyond what we do at work in order to try and achieve or meet our boss's expectations. And, and I know it's not easy. But we've made peace with it. And the thing it's robbed from us is our time with God and our time of rest. And I believe Holy Spirit's just wanting to convict us of that this morning too. But all of this goes when we truly believe in our heart of hearts that God has designed us to be fruitful and he can do it. So I just want you to pray this prayer of me. Say, God, I thank you. You've made me who I am. God, I thank you that you have a plan and purpose for me. God, I thank you you have good works for me to accomplish. God, would you help me do them by abiding and resting in you.
Father, I thank you so much for your, your love with us this morning, your presence with us, something we can truly rest in. And I just pray this morning, even where there is, there's, there's restlessness and sleeplessness in this house, that it would end now in Jesus' name. I just see uh, uh, this earlier when we were worshiping, I just saw like angels dropping from the ceiling. They just coming and standing beside people. And I believe that the Lord is saying that, that just like Jacob had this incredible dream where he saw angels ascending and descending, uh, so too are we to receive true rest and true sleep. Like he slept with his head on a rock. Like true sleep and true rest. And God's going to give it to us. And I just pray right now, if this, if this is you, do you want to just stick a hand up or something? If you trouble sleeping at all, I just want to pray for you specifically. Rest is so much more than sleep, but it's part of it. So, Father, I pray right now for everyone who's struggling with sleep in this house. I pray that today will be a moment where this shifts. I pray and just in the spirit, God, you would send angels to bring them true rest. God, this is a gift from you, true sleep in Jesus' name. And anything that would detract from that and try and take from that is gone right now in Jesus' name. And we declare the rest of God over each and every one of you in Jesus' name. Let's just sing this together.